When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ in the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. I think I do. Give me me a second. Just give me a second to pull up a question. We obviously hit record too soon, uh, but welcome to the Gravity Leadership Hmm. Podcast, everybody. Hmm. Nice to... uh, Nice to Christy, Matt. It's good to see you again. Yeah, I know. Well, mm-hmm. it's early morning for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, a lot of times we record, we record these intros in the early early morning for Christy, who is mm-hmm. two hours behind us. So it's uh, it's the it's you know it's just the morning, it's just the normal morning for Matt and I usually. So this is true. Mm-hmm. But Matt has a great question for us. Oh, today. Matt, I'm so looking forward yeah, to your. I can't wait. Awesome for this question. question. <laughs> this question. This was this is gonna be a highlight of my week. This question. <laughs> oh my gosh. And the question is drum roll, please. What's the yeah. most embarrassing fashion trend that you used to rock? <laughs> and then we are gonna put pictures in the show notes oh, to show you. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> what's the most so. embarrassing fashion trend that you used to rock? I've got I've got like mm. two. Two? <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right, I'll, well, go, I'll, I, I'll go first. Is that right? Give okay. you guys a chance to think. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was um, an Xer, and so I was raised in the 80s, and uh, there was a hot minute where we used to tight roll our pants. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like tight rolling my pants was a fashion trend. It's a little embarrassing. Mm. Um, and then, uh, you well, know, Matt, uh, that, that was going to be mine as well, but the kids these days, they. Haven't you seen like you people, not even kids, but people like ten years, fifteen years younger than us are tight rolling their pants again? No, I don't pay attention to oh, kids yeah. and their fashion. Going to H and M, all the eighties are right there. Yeah, I I thought it was embarrassing, and then I was like, wait, is this is this happening? It's so weird. Yeah. I I just go into the farm and fleet and say, give me mm-hmm. one of each in the size of medium. And that's what I do. That's how I rock my wardrobe now. I don't know what the kids are doing. So that's that's the first mm. that's the first fashion trend. The second one is I had a haircut that was affectionately referred to as a rat tail. Oh, oh. yes, you did. Oh, <laughs> you're one of those yes, kids. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah, you were cool then. The kid, oh, the kids yeah. in my school with rat tails, like that. It would just. It was a very specific kind of look yeah it was like all the all the all the bad mean kids that that was my impression of the kids with rat tails is like the bullies that's uh, funny you know the kids that uh were a little violent around the edges so well i had a rat tail that wasn't you like two minutes and yeah and then it didn't i don't know it didn't feel like me ben i had to let it go Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you didn't you couldn't embrace that violent lifestyle yeah no i couldn't 
How about how about you, Christy? Yeah. What was your fashion? Yeah, you know, I, there was a moment that we wore like long underwear under like shorts, <laughs> but it wasn't just shorts. Like I'm pretty sure that we wore like boxers. Like we wore long underwear and then we wore two, boxers over two pairs over of underwear. Yeah. <laughs> two pairs of underwear. So long underwear. Yeah. And short underwear that pants. was okay. Yeah. yeah, doesn't even make sense. Um, I did. I did That's in so the eighties have like the feathered haircut. You know where I had bangs. Like the whole front head of my head oh, yeah, was yeah, just yeah. a bunch of bangs. <laughs> right, and then I'd, <laughs> I don't know Infinite why my mom bangs. thought. Yeah. Yes, and like you know, you'd like feather it oh, back, yeah. like the whole mm. thing. Mm-hmm. Why did my mom think that was cute? I don't know. Watch um, any movies? But I got 80s. a lot of pictures. Yeah, I got a lot of pictures, like yeah. fourth grade. That yeah. that's that was my haircut. Yeah. Ben, well, what do you got? Well, obviously, the tight rolling of the pants uh, is one of the things that I uh, participated in. Um, and then the maybe the other one is just. Um, like in high school, like I, I think I wore flannel shirts every single day of the week. It was like all I had was flannel shirts <laughs> that were open in the front with a t-shirt oh, underneath. Yeah. Yep. Like that, the grunge look maybe, I don't know. Yep. But, uh, that, and, and slightly baggy, everything was slightly baggy, yeah. um, which I've noticed that's coming back now too. Yeah. Like my, yeah. my high school daughter and um, all of her friends dress this way now. It's like, I was like, wow, what comes around goes around. It really does. Yeah, just so. save your clothes for like, you know, 30 yeah. years. Vintage, then- retro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your kids will love it. Uh, so, yeah. Ben, I, if I could just share an observation. Um, mm-hmm. Flannel shirts and kind of baggy, like th- that, you were rocking that like five years ago. <laughs> like you, mm. you still are, were into fat. When I met you, I guess this is now mm-hmm. 10 or 15. <clears throat> you, right, yeah, you, uh, I was going to say five you don't know how time works. I don't think. No, so. it's the <laughs> pandemic. I've been very upfront about the time warp that my life is. Um, right. <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, you know, ten, fifteen years ago, you still were rocking the flannel shirts. Yeah, sure, sure. They weren't super baggy though. They weren't super baggy. And the though, hair. At that point. And the hair. What about the hair? <laughs> were you rocking? Oh, hair? I was rocking hair. Yeah, I actually <laughs> okay. had hair back then. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird fashion yeah. trend that was, huh? Yeah. Do you guys remember doing your hair? <laughs> Uh, well, well, we have a fun guest today because he's actually coming to my church to preach. I know that's a funny little uh, coincidence, so, and you were not um, on this interview, so I know I get to hear like, from Marty sad. as well. Yeah, but um, yeah, he's coming, Pulpit Rock Church. If you're in yeah. Colorado Springs, in come what, and check him out. What what's uh, season of the year? You were trying to look this up, but you think yeah, it's I'm June? Sorry. Maybe I think it's June. I'll find it out before this gets released, and then all right, I don't know. All right, yeah, this is Marty Solomon. Asking better questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, wary, and longing for more. I wanted a third W word there. Wounded, wary, and oh, wandering. Wan- wandering? How about just wanting more? Oh, yeah, wanting, wanting more. more. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they didn't consult us, uh, the publisher, <laughs> on this. Uh, well, uh, uh, these, we know how to alliterate. Uh, so. Even though we've got some feedback on the subtitle. Uh, <laughs> You're welcome. We have, Marty, we have some notes, no, Marty. Yeah. No, uh, the, yeah, yeah. The, just on the title, <laughs> the book is great. The interview is good, too, and so uh, happy to yeah. uh, share it with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marty's uh, Marty's great. Um, really appreciate his, um, yeah, his heart, uh, yeah, for the wounded, um, people who have had the Bible used against them as a weapon, um, and helping, helping people um, to re-engage the text uh, perhaps in a way that is uh, less triggering, sort of beyond uh, maybe some of the ways that the Bible has been used uh, to cause harm. Mm-hmm. And uh, deeply appreciative of the way that he does that and his very compassionate approach. Yeah. It's great. It's a good interview. So, all right, awesome. here we go. Marty Solomon joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. He's a theologian, the president and director of Discipleship for Impact Christian Ministries, and the creator and executive producer of the BEMA Podcast. He and his wife, Rebecca, live in Cincinnati with their two kids. He joins us today to chat about his recent book, just released, 
asking better questions of the Bible, a guide for the wounded, wary, and longing for more. Marty, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Uh, it's been fun to have all these conversations, so I'm excited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real quick, before we start, one of um, one of our pastoral interns, sort of a church planner and residence at our church, his wife devours your podcast. She absolutely <laughs> loves it. She's a huge evangelist for it. So uh, tell us a little bit about the Bema podcast, what that's about, how it got started. Well, it's really just a journey, 206 episodes worth of trying to unpack the uh, the Bible. I mean, you could call it deconstruction, whatever that word does for you. Um, but it's really, I mean, we were using that on our title page before it was cool. So we we're on the front end of the deconstruction phase. <laughs> um, but we we're really trying to just say, is there a better reading of the scripture that's more informed from a Jewish, the Jewish perspective of the authors and the audiences, the history and the context? Um, and that's what we do. We start in Genesis. We walk through the whole scriptures. We do a little mm-hmm. bout through church history. And for the last couple of years, we've just been kind of having fun moving on from there. So yeah. that's the the body of work is really the first five seasons, the first five sessions. And that walks through the the, the scriptures as a unit and kind of the overall narrative arc. So <laughs> started really as a class. I, I got into campus ministry just under 15 years ago, was teaching a class with college students on campus. They asked me to serve as president and I had to start traveling so much that we wanted to put the content online for the students. And we weren't really trying to start a podcast, but more and more people kept listening. And then we tried to steward this thing for what it is and what whatever Jesus wants to do with it. So that's yeah. the, that's the story. Yeah. The reason I ask is because it seems like the book uh, picks up a lot of the themes you just mentioned uh, in the podcast. And we'll get to that in a second. But first, tell us a bit about yourself, Marty. How did you come to care about reclaiming or recovering a more faithful reading of the Bible? How did that become something that was important to you? Yeah, um, I had I have my own Jewish heritage in my family. I was aware of that growing up, um, but I, I, we weren't raised in that. We were raised in an evangelical context, pretty fundamentalist evangelical context that said, well, Jesus came, so why would that matter? Um, so it was this thing I was aware of, and but didn't really have a whole lot of immediate relevance to me. And then I, you know, I got, I felt like I was called to the ministry. I went to Bible college. I was in the middle of that. I was two or three years into pastoring a church. And I just had my own, you know, phase of, I've got questions and I'm not loving the answers and I'm not smoking what I'm selling. And I, this is not working for me. And, and at some point I had, I had some great mentors that kept listening to the questions I was asking, kept encouraging me to keep going, keep digging. They weren't trying to fix me. And they led me to some great teachers and great voices that helped me read the Bible through a more um, historical lens. I got to travel with Ray Vanderlaan to Israel and Turkey. And, and, and I knew that other people had similar experiences. I knew they had similar questions. And that's what really I wanted to to capture in my own ministry was to give away what had ha- I'm not the expert. Like, I'll be really clear about that. But if I can point people to the expert's and help people go on a similar journey to what I went went through. That that that'll be glorious and beautiful. But that's what brought me here. Mm. Yeah, that's great, Marty. I I appreciate that kind of ministry. Um, the the person who is not an expert but is sort of just telling others what they've learned from other experts. You know, yeah. um, I think that's an underrated um, form of ministry, and I'm glad that you're doing it. Um, <clears throat> so in your you know in your podcast and your book, you're you're wanting to kind of expand and deepen our appreciation of and our access to the scriptures. Um, And I wonder if we could just talk about one element of that that helps us uh, to expand our appreciation of the scriptures. And that's like genre or literary style. Um, What, what do we gain when we start to understand the different genres that are present in the scriptures? Yeah. um, So if we believe that there's some kind of authoritative, we might use words like inspired or whatever those words might be. But if we believe that there's an inspired conversation between author and audience, then understanding the the genre of literature they're choosing to use to have that conversation is super important. And I think we've been trained, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, just kind of view the Bible as the Bible. And we just kind of go to every passage, every portion of the biblical library, the same way, ask the same questions, perform the same exegesis. And we might have an awareness of genre, but to understand to be aware of things like chiasmus, we talk about that all the time, mm-hmm. or 
Is there a conversation about conquest narrative in the book of Joshua? Is that something that the audience would have known immediately that we don't know? Or, you know, what is a psalm? Or how is the book of Job struck? Any of this to understand that that genre leads to a whole set of questions that I wouldn't ask of Second Kings, or I wouldn't ask of the book of Esther. Um, I mean, that changes. I think we typically have the same exegetical conversation and that exegetical conversation should be shaped more by being aware of the literary devices that are at play, the genre of literature we're engaging. That should just be some of the, they're not easy questions to answer, but mm-hmm. they should be some of the first questions we learn to ask. Yeah. So that's part of what we're trying to do. Yeah. I've always been struck by that. Like I used to, I, I took some courses in hermeneutics and used to teach this at a church I was involved in um, early on in ministry. And every time I, every time I got to, started teaching about the the different genres of scripture, the weirder it became that we call this book, the word, I mean, I believe it, this is the word of God, but like it, it, it's such a big idea to say, this is God's word to us, but it, it comes to us in poetry letters that's, you know, an apostle wrote to some churches and his protege, like it comes to us in all these various forms. And it's like, what does it actually mean that this is God's word to us? I think oftentimes we try to, we try to read the Bible as if it was God saying, I'm commanding you to do all these things, and these are all the things that are true. But it's like, well, the, a book filled with this many genres, it can't be that simple. It yeah. can't be that simple. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Peter Enns when he says, you know, the story looks like it does because God lets his kids tell the story. Like, mm. the story has this source. <laughs> yeah. Like, it has this place that it comes from, and that's what makes yeah. it. I like guess what the word inspired, you know, God breathed. It's a it's coming from a place that's God, yes. But it's coming through all of God's people throughout the ages, and that means it's getting to us through some very diverse vehicles yeah. and times in history. Um, but I've always loved that quote. Like we're getting to see the story that God let us tell, yeah. and made sure it was coming from a beautiful place. But it's still, yeah. it's still our yeah. story. And now a word from a sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get back into our conversation. One of the layers, maybe we could say, or arenas of recomplexifying the oversimplified story we've received about the scriptures. I mean, I think well-intended oversimplification, right? I think there's been a lot of, let's make this as accessible as possible to you, but in so doing, we we miss it, or we misappropriate it, or we misunderstand it, we misapply it, etc. And so your project, what excites me is, Often people are scared to make Scripture more complex, right? Uh, they're scared yep. to ask questions, right? Yep. And and your project is not all Scripture isn't isn't written to answer every question. You know, right. hello, yep. how many days did creation? You know, these kinds yep. of things we bring to the text. Yep. But but you're saying if we can if we can understand better what Scripture was written, how it was written, and, and what it intended to do. Um, and this other layer I want to introduce, the kind of worldview or mindset or paradigms that Eastern people had. You know, and, right. and I know if, when we talk about Eastern people, we're talking about super diverse cultures from, you know, yeah. the right. Philippines to Hebrew, and those right. are very distinct. But in general, the Eastern perspective has um, a much different way of accessing reality than right. our Platonic, Aristotelian, you know, Western, dualistic way of seeing the world. Um, I wonder if you could give us one or two examples of how maybe our modern uh, Western way of seeing the world in, uh, inhibits us from reading Scripture faithfully, and then one or two examples of the way that the Eastern mindset can help us access what Scripture wants to do. Yeah, um... Let me go backwards because that's what's coming to mind. So we'll, we can start with like what the Eastern worldview is maybe offering us or inviting us to 
like the ability to communicate through through image or picture or like we're used to art that's not unusual to us we're used to but but when we want to talk about god using language like an omnipotent or omniscient but the bible is like god is a fortress there's teeth to that now you can look at that and be like well god is a fortress oh it's just a picture and that's just eastern or you can go wait a minute I mean, that that picture and that image has some legs, especially if I'm not the person, if I'm the person who would love to be in a fortress rather than the person who builds all the fortresses. Like, when I remember where the Bible's written from, the people who are under the boot of empire, not the people wearing the boots. Mm -hmm. Like, those are are things that the Eastern mindset's inviting me to lean into. Um, All the things that the scripture is saying by not saying them. Uh, that's what the Eastern world's inviting us into. So what are ways that the Western world can sometimes get in the way of that? I mean, you, you talked about creation narrative. Um, I mean, how many times do we have to wrestle with the how question in Genesis 1 through 3? Whether it's how creation happened or how sin entered the world. Well, that's not what either of those stories are. That, that Eastern world is not having a how question. They're having a why. Why do we sin? They're having a who created the world. And what kind of world, they're having a qualitative conversation, not a quantitative or a mechanical conversation. Um, and that, I mean, that's where we start the whole story. So I feel like if we get some of those things critically wrong, from page one, <laughs> we're headed in the wrong direction. Or, or, or when we tell stories like the feeding of the 5,000, and we don't necessarily remember that Jewish numerology does something to a story, that there's five loaves and two fish and 12 baskets. There's a very Jewish story about what Jesus can do with God's people. And then goes across the Sea of Galilee to the land of the Decapolis and the pagans and does 4,000 with seven baskets. And now the story is Jesus wants to do something with all the people that aren't God's people. And then you're like, well, I'm not buying all that numerology stuff. That's crazy. But then Jesus gets into the boat the disciples argue about lunch, and Jesus literally points out, of all the things he could point out, the numbers. Um, and you're like, oh, goodness, is, is this really about the numbers? Apparently it is, because that's what Jesus literally grilled his disciples over. So we are ironically making the same mistake the disciples make in our Western worldview as we read the story and exegete it with Western methods. Um, so those are just examples. And it's not the end of the world. Of course we do. Like, we have to be super gracious to ourselves and... But it's like becoming aware of this stuff and, oh, yes, there's a different question. There's a different story. There's a different goal, objective that the storyteller has and what I'm used to. And this matters. Yeah. Yeah. Your, the, the title of your book, um, speaking of questions, um, implies, and you, you got into this a little bit, but I wonder if you could expand on it. <clears throat> you know, asking better questions implies that we do bring questions to the text. I mean, typically, you know, typically the reason somebody's reading the Bible is they, they do have a question or they have a, a wondering, right? It's, it's not sort of academic interest for most of us. There's a faith question we're asking. We're wondering what, you know, God wants to do with my life or, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so I wonder if you can talk about the, a bit more about the not so great questions that we bring to scripture. Um, what, you know, where do you see that happening and um how does it impact us when we bring like these these questions that aren't the better ones to the text yeah i have a i have a buddy that says when we ask questions the bible isn't asking we always get the wrong answer like Mm -hmm. what we do is we pull the bible in to meet us on our terms and those terms are usually in the conversations we're used to driven by our theological systems classical theology constructed in the 15 1600s or our systematic seminary questions about, um, like, I can't tell you how often I get an email about, um, you know, salvation and soteriology and pneumatology. Like we're having these questions that are already kind of predetermined. And then we're, we're saying, Hey Bible, can you come meet me on my terms and answer my questions? And to just have an awareness of that. So we can start meeting the Bible on its terms. Like what is Paul doing in the letter to Timothy we got to meet meet it on that term, not try to take Timothy and force it to meet us on our terms and talk about ecclesiological whatever about how we structure relationships and gender roles or what. Like, yeah. whoa, what is Paul doing and what is his what is his goal in those spaces? I wonder if you could beam out for a bit and just tell us, like, what's what's the fruit, Marty? 
What's the fruit of doing that? It, it goes from us using it to answer questions that it wasn't intended to answer to what's the fruit then, like specifically First Timothy. So the fruit of that ends up – so so you'll notice in the first posture, we're over the text. We're using it. Uh, I say that towards the end of the book. We're mastering the text, and we've been trained to do that. We've had a posture for 100 years where we're at war, and it's time to be certain – and we got to have a proof and an explanation and apologetics and all the things mm-hmm. to make sure that we are right and we know that. So it has postured us over the text. But the fruit of posturing ourselves correctly is to remind ourselves that God wants to use the text to provoke us, transform us, change us. And mm-hmm. we try to point that out all throughout the book. Of So that's that's part of the fruit. It should make us more loving, more patient, more peaceful, more more gentle, kind. It should be the fruit of the Spirit. It should be more whole relationships in humanity. It should cause us to go, I, I mean, I, I know what you're what you're really asking about as we read Timothy here. Like, when you, when you read Timothy and you realize Paul is trying to help him in a particular context, in Ephesus, Paul, Timothy's a pastor in Ephesus. It's very similar to a letter that Paul wrote to Corinthians, which are the only two letters we ever seem to write. And these are two cities written to very goddess-centric, matriarchal, Ionian league cultures. And he's trying to navigate what does the gospel look like in a culture where this is the dominant voice, and Paul's trying to say, I would practice the same sacrificial love that we practice because that's the way of the gospel that we would practice in Rome. Because in Rome, we do the exact opposite. In Rome, half of my church leaders are women, but in Ephesus, I would say, do it the opposite way so that you show the world what the gospel looks like. And that's all being driven by context. And that's that's a great example of meeting the Bible on its terms mm-hmm. rather than p- trying to pull the Bible into my, well, these are the ecclesiological conversations I'm having about egalitarianism and complementarianism. And well, Paul wasn't having that conversation. Paul was trying to get Timothy to figure out what it meant to live out the gospel in Ephesus. And that will help us with all those other questions in our world. But only if I do that work on the right side of the gap. If yeah. I pull it over the gap and try to do it on this side, I'm going to mess that up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see this happen all the time, right? Proof texting, you know, you can proof text, you know, both sides of, you know, all of these debates if you just pull, you know, pull those things out. And I think, I think it's a great example of, just the need for, you know, your book and the, and the work that your podcast does is, is again, to recomplexify this issue to say, it's actually not that easy. You know, you, you, you can't just proof text this. You have to, you have to back up like several steps and just say, I need to understand what Paul was doing with Timothy before I can understand how, what he says, you know, to do at the church of Ephesus applies to what yeah. we need to think, figure out. I really appreciate you both of you guys bringing up that recomplexify because I feel like that's what I'm always trying to fight and I hate it because everybody <laughs> wants it to be accessible and simple. And I yeah. want to hold that paradox because yeah. I want to make that complexity accessible to anybody. Right. But but you are right. You have to like there is all kinds of nuance and complexity to all of this. The Bible is not trying to remove that. It's trying to teach us how to lean into the complexity. It's trying to teach us how to think, not what to think. Mm-hmm. Which means the Bible is recognizing the complexity of the world that we live yes. in, that we try to apply the gospel to. And that's a that's a conversation that any of us, it's not reserved for the experts, it's not reserved for the people. It's it's a conversation for all of us, but it is a very complex and nuanced conversation that is not easily answered in a chapter in the book of Second Opinions. Yeah. I think and I think this move to uh reintroduce complexity, even tension. You have a whole chapter on not systematizing the New Testament, but letting the tensions hang. I mean, this is a Jewish mindset, Marty, as you well know, right? They can yep. they can have a book in Deuteronomy that says, look, if you do good, good things will happen. If you do bad, bad things will happen. That's how you know, boom, shakalaka, right? Yep. And yep. then you can and then you can write have a book of Job where it's like not so fast, yep. my systemizing friend. Yep. In 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 the Jewish imagination, you don't yep. get two traditions that harden those uh, polar opposites and fight against each other. But in the yep. Jewish imagination, it's the interaction between the two, Absolutely. the generative relationship between two things that are what contradictory. Yep, uh, and that's in in the contradiction or in the tension is where God is revealed. And that scandalizes the Western mind. Absolutely. 
right? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And that's, and that's wisdom. It's that mm. depth and complexity that is the yeah. wisdom of that you're trying to mine. But we don't actually want wisdom because it is, it's like it's, a squishy bar messy. of soap. I can't, I can't yep. get my hands on it. I can't leverage it. I can't make it efficient yeah. and effective and multiply yes. it and sell it. And so I don't yeah. really like that wisdom can't space. Own it, master it, control yep. it, use it for my purposes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have an MDiv, guys. So sorry, sorry to break it to you. Uh, <laughs> no, let's speaking go of back. mastery. <laughs> speaking <laughs> of, uh, let's go back to this uh, word deconstruction. You said you you were you were talking about that before it was cool, uh, and we were using that word <laughs> as it became heresy. Uh, and so, yes. um, but a lot of our In listeners, court. I think. Um, they relate well to that term because it describes what yeah. feels like a loss of faith. Um, the ground is shaking. The categories and containers that they had are insufficient. Yep. Um, tell us a bit more about how your work offers hope to those going through disillusionment. To, um, for people in that place, how is this book a help? Well, hopefully – I mean, I don't, I don't know if I pulled this off and they would be the ones that their feedback is what matters mm-hmm. in, in this question, mm-hmm. um, whether or not it works for them. My hope is that it completely validates and affirms that experience as not something that has to be avoided. And in fact, it can be, and, and, and I'm not trying to say there's a right way to do it. Like you, you, you got to love how the church comes in. It's like, okay, but let's hold on. We'll tell you how let's to police the deconstruction. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not trying to do that. I am trying to give us tools to be like, th- there are multiple kinds of deconstruction, all of it legitimate for legitimate reasons, but there is a deconstruction that actually trusts Jesus in the Bible. And that's not the only kind that matters. It's just, there is one that you may identify with that says, wait a minute, I completely trust the Bible and I completely just trust Jesus. I do not trust the church or the systems or the people in the middle at all. Well, then keep on going because that Jesus and that Bible can be trusted. Um, And keep on chasing that because there are some beautiful building blocks on the other side of that conversation. So hopefully there's there's a validating, there's an affirming message there and hopefully some tools because, I mean, part of, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this. I hope that part of what we're trying to do is decentralize the tools because it mm. sucks when the only place you can get the tools and the help is in the very systems that you're trying to deconstruct and ask yes. questions about. Yes. Yeah. So if you yeah. can get tools out into people's hands and the age of the internet and everything else that just enables them to do more, they can be a part in their own agency in their own, at their own speed in their own time in a way that they can validate on their own terms, go through that process I just hate it when we force people into an all or nothing. You can either do you can either do it this way or you can do it without. You can either do it our way with Jesus or you can do it some other way without Jesus. And Jesus is bigger than that. Yeah. Um, and so if we can help people have tools to do that in all kinds of spaces, and I hope and pray there will be in all of our faith communities because we need them present yeah. and we need them all around us. So I hope they don't have to leave, but we're making it awfully difficult. So those are just some of my thoughts. Yeah. We really are. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, our 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn how to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life that God shares with us. It is a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying out some new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it's helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. Matt and I have been, Matt and I co-pastor a church together with another pastor. Um, and our, our work with Gravity <clears throat> dovetails with the work that happens in that church uh, quite a bit. 
Um, and I think one of the things that I've, um, that we've practiced, I think that's been good has been a lot of empathy for people who are going through some kind of deconstruction or asking questions and, and aren't sure and have been rejected by churches or, you know, had their faith questioned or that kind of a thing. Um, but I think, uh, I think I, I, I have also been convicted lately of just what you're talking about is not just the empathy, but also then the tools to say, well, how do we reconstruct, you know, what does it look like to, to be a Christian then if it's not this, if it's not, you know, like how, how do we actually reconstruct something on the other side of, of that? And so um, anyway, just resonating with that um, need for churches, you know, for those resources to be present for people um, yeah. in churches yeah. as well. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Part of, part of the answer to that, I think is something Marty said earlier, which is, um, we come out of this container where it's important what we believe and what I think your work does, Marty, that's so beneficial and helpful for us is mm, changes the question. See what I did there to not what do I believe only, but how do I believe it? Mm-hmm. And I think it takes, that's like a metaphysical crisis. It feels like a different operating system to live by how I'm believing my beliefs versus have I, do I have the 39 articles correct? Do I have, Yep. Can I ascribe to the Westminster Confession completely uh, with ev- every word? And I think that 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 your book moves us in that direction by opening things up that have been closed off and permitting us to ask questions that were verboten. And so yep. may- maybe as we wrap up here, um, I know we're, we're we're running out of time. You you tackle two different things, and I'll let you choose maybe one to to riff on for a bit. You talk about how like um, biblical history. Um, reading, recovering, reading stories as cautionary tales, and you mentioned the conquest earlier. Um, and I think that for many people, they've had to stop reading parts of the scriptures because it scandalizes their conscience. Sure. So their their mm. their, their their choice is, I either read this in the way I've been taught and gaslight my conscience, yep. or I listen to my conscience and I can't pick up the scriptures. Yep. Can you help that person? with one or two or three insights that maybe opens up another possibility as they read that? Yes. Um, so to realize that history, to uh, to start to assume, and you have to trust this truth first, but if you see it enough, you can start to trust. History is being written with an agenda. It's part of what we talk about in in the book. Like history in, in the Jewish scripture, in the Tanakh, history shows up as a prophet. That's the section of like you have the Torah and you have the prophets and the writings. And you're like, which one is history going to show up? Everybody's going to say the writings, but it doesn't. History shows up as a prophet because history is prophetic. You're not going to take that mm. kind of time to record history like a Westerner does. A Westerner wants to record the details, the unbiased, unvarnished details. So we have a record of what happened and then we can take it over there and evaluate it. But that's all happening simultaneously in Jewish history. They are also giving you the agenda, giving you the treasure map. They're recording what happened in, say, the conquest or the book of Judges. But they're also doing it in a way that either says, we're supposed to be not repeating this. Or there's something about learning this history where I will leave here a different changed person. For instance, the story of David and Goliath. Is that is that about the story that it happened? It's the point of that story that it happened historically, because I'm surrounded by Christians that are just very adamant when I start to suggest anything otherwise. They're like, no, that story happened. It's real. It's in the Valley of Elah. I've stood there. And I take all my students and we stand there. I'm like, sure. Is that why that story's there? Because what's the point? At the end of that story, what is the point? So what? So David and Goliath happened. So what is the lesson? Or is that story being told so that when I leave that story, I have been like provoked I'm challenged, I'm stirred, and now I'm a different person because I heard that story and they told it so that I would be changed, that I would take what little feeble obedience I have because it's not about power and Matt's master's degree as MDiv. <laughs> it's it's not about those things. It's about it's about my faithful obedience with what little bit I have yeah. and what God can do with Okay, Okay, well, now you're telling me I have to get up and go do something. Not just know that David and Goliath happened, but yeah. and so now I'm I'm able to engage with history, not as a this is what you're supposed to do, but with more faith in the history that there's more going on here, and so I can read it with this inquisitive. What's the treasure? What's the yeah? What's you know? What are those yeah. things? So 
Yeah. Yeah. In many ways, Marty, you know, like a good sermon on David and Goliath will do similar work, you know, to what you're talking about. And and it's, it's interesting to me that, you know, preaching a sermon, you know, about Jesus walking on water or David and Goliath and sort of taking an old situation like that and then bringing it into our lives today and, and, you know, letting God speak to us through the story about our lives is not a controversial thing. But once you start, you know, suggesting that maybe that's why the story's in the Bible in the first place, and maybe it doesn't matter if it happened or not. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I know there's some things that do matter, but like not everything matters, you know, in in that same way. Or at least it matters less than the other thing. Like, right, right. what if I got the first thing but missed the second thing? What a failure of... Right. And right. I love you pointing that out, Ben, because in their world, they didn't have sermons. They right. go to the synagogue and they read the scripture for 40 minutes and they talk for a minute and a half. So <laughs> your scripture is having to do the work of a sermon, which yeah. I think is a brilliant observation. Yeah. I-, I love that. I'm probably going to steal that in the future. I'll try to remember mm. to give... Ben credit for that. Yeah, just the first time, though, then it's yours. Just tell okay, us, just say one time, Ben, ben Sternke Matt, taught me this, and then pretend Matt's like it's just, yours. Matt's just bitter because you took down his MDiv. So. <laughs> I, I am the first person to take down the MDiv. It's true. Uh, he, he has been misinterpreted. Like, he sort of, like, fake brags about it on the podcast yep. a lot. And there have been listeners who've written in to sort of say, like, man, Matt, Matt certainly is proud of his MD. It's like, no, that's, no, that's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. That's ironic. Great. I'm trying to be yeah. sarcastically ironic. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Marty, yeah. I, I like this, and I, I want to encourage lis- the listener to check out the podcast, BEMA podcast. You work through a lot of these stories, helping us rediscover and maybe re- reclaim good questions to ask rather than the the things we've been taught these stories answer. And also uh, the book, which is uh, written uh, for the same purpose, Asking Better Questions of the Bible, A Guide for the Wounded, Wary, and Longing for More. Marty, you have a website, right? Is that the best place for people to find you and connect with you online? They can find everything there, martysolomon.com. They can get to my YouTube channel, the podcast, the books, my tour schedule, what what I've done in the past, interviews, anything they want to find, social media, all the goodies. Get some. This there. is great. Well, uh, we, we feel shop. like, yeah, yeah, we feel like you're a, a kindred spirit here, and it's really yeah. good to have you with us, and appreciate the work you're doing to give hope to people who feel like they don't know how to stay a Christian, but they can't quit Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah. I really, uh, but the, you're you're our kind of people. Good. Yeah. I'm glad Thanks, to Marty. find more. It's beautiful. Yeah. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks. Yep. Ben, um, you and I both are sporting beards these days. Yeah, these days. I've sported a beard for years. It's been a while. Yeah. You went, when you when you cut your beard off, you look super young. Yeah. You get like a I baby look face. Very different. Yeah. yeah I look very different. It's true. Um, but sometimes uh, I just share, I go back and forth between having a beard and not having a beard, mm-hmm. and then for like six hours I have a mustache in between. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that prompts me to shave my beard mm-hmm. is I look at you and Spencer and I think we can't all have th- beards. <laughs> somebody can't have three co- Spencers or other co-pastors. Somebody needs to uh, not have a beard in this crew. Yeah, and then yeah, I we, and then I shave it off, and I feel much yeah. better because I've now mm-hmm. identified myself uh, by who I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a bearded person. I'm not a bearded pastor like these friends. Uh, are you thinking about beards because of Marty Solomon's beard, Matt? Uh, yes, that's why beards? I'm thinking yes. about his beard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, listener, if you um, couldn't see Marty, which you probably couldn't because this is a podcast, uh, he has an impressive beard. It's, uh, he's probably been growing that thing for decades. Uh, it's impressive. So if you, uh, you know, the place to find, um, Marty's beard is if you go look us up on Instagram, uh, we post little clips from these podcast episodes, uh, and their video clips. And so you can see Marty's beard, or if you just go to his website, you can mm-hmm. check out his beard. So, yeah, I too was impressed with Marty's beard. Uh, but more impressed uh, just with with Marty. He, um, like you said, he's 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 our kind of guy. He's our people. He is, um, yeah, just real uh, pastoral voice. Um, uh, I just love I love what he's doing. 
um, I was thinking about the similarities between um, some of the stuff that Marty shared with us and the stuff that uh, Bradley Jerzak shared with us a few weeks ago. Um, This is, you'll have to look back a couple weeks in our archives to find it, but, um, but similar kinds of, um, I think helpful remarks for people who find themselves, you know, unable to read the Bible or not sure if they're a Christian anymore, that kind of a thing. I I thought there were some, some, some interesting similarities there, but um, the distinction in my mind, I thought that was interesting was that Bradley tended to emphasize the, I think what he called the direct experience of the presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of more of a mystical encounter based like spirituality Yes, that, um, and not that that's uh, absent from what Marty was talking about, but I appreciated the way that Marty um, was trying to equip people to read the Bible mm-hmm. in a new way. Um, and you know, that's a, that's a big part of, I think uh, deconstruction as well as learning learning to read the Bible in a new way. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated his, his emphasis on that. Yeah, me too. And his heart, I think his heart is to <clears throat> clear obstacles out of people's way to encounter Christ, mm-hmm. uh, just like Brad's. And uh, yeah. I think the work he's doing is learning from a lot of different people that have helped him to do that and then offering that in a digest or an accessible way, which honestly, Ben, this is our work at Gravity too, right? We're it totally, it's we're the same seeking, thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I think all the best, <laughs> this is why, um, this, here's the secret. Uh, we, we've been talking about mental health, this, this little series we've done on mental health. Mm-hmm. And a yeah. lot of people get into uh, mental health because they actually need to work on their mental health. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah. They become therapists because they're like, yeah, wait a second. I, yeah. Something's not, I got to learn about why I am the way I am, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, you've quipped in the past that uh, um, most people are just Christians. And for those who need extra help, they become pastors. Um, you know, you said <laughs> yeah. something like that, right? Like we're yeah, pastors yeah. so we can. This is God's remedial program. Yeah. yeah so yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the work that Marty's doing here, and we'll get to this interview shortly, 30 or 40 more minutes, um, is that there's, there's his he's done this work uh-huh. because he refuses to leave behind Jesus yeah and yeah. wants to offer that for the benefit of others yeah you know yeah i appreciated that about this uh, interview which by the way people have just heard so we're recording the outro here matt so oh <laughs> this is the outro this is the outro what am i doing with my life i don't know man i don't know, just you thought we were recording the intro this whole time? I've been introing. I had total intro energy. Ben, <laughs> I feel like there's there's an 11% chance. Uh-huh. There's an 11% chance that you didn't tell me we were doing the outro. <laughs> and there's an 89% chance that you did. Uh-huh. And I forgot and or, or didn't. Or just misread it, you know. Didn't tro. listen. Both words end in tro. Well, if you're listening to another podcast after this one, consider this an intro to that one. Hmm? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Every outro they're is all, an intro, they all buddy. string together. <laughs> <laughs> Every outro is an intro if you got your podcast player on uh, Play the Next Episode. Uh, you know, um, typically, uh, someone with uh, a modicum of decorum mm-hmm. uh, would be embarrassed by that. Yeah. But not this you're one. Not, you're not embarrassed? Oh, no. No decorum over here. <laughs> no, that's well. It is kind of our vibe. I, I mean, I halfway thought as I as I realized that you were thinking this as the intro. I halfway thought, you know what? Maybe we should re-record this. No, but you know what? Why? This is our vibe. I, we're going to let this play out. Look, it's not that we don't care, dear listener. It's yeah, just that true. we take ourselves way too seriously, listener. No, no. You may be like this. You may take yourself way too seriously, and mm-hmm. uh, this is me. Like there's a reason why I talk about learning to be wrong in public and making repentance great again. Although that phrase, thanks for ruining it, Donald. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like all these, all these different, uh, all these different verbal cues is, is me declaring good news to myself that yeah. you don't, the more serious you take yourself, yeah. the less impact uh, in the kingdom you can have in the world. Yeah. Right. The kingdom is serious, yeah. right? Suffering is serious. Mm-hmm. The resurrection is serious. But lighten up on yourself. Yeah. So maybe. Our egos are not uh, worth no indulging. No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's 
This anyway. was a great interview. Uh, now that I know we're outroing, mm-hmm. let yeah, me. You, you get anything else to share? <laughs> let me that get you appreciated. Let yeah. me get to my outro voice. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Uh, no, I um, Ben, but you're a musician. I am. You've got a little. Is that a ukulele back there? Let me just play it for the dear listener. I was hoping it's in tune. Oh yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. You hanging on an outside wall though. I've been told never to hang stringed instruments on oh, outside walls. On an walls. outside wall, that is probably a good. It's probably a good call. Pro tip. Um, Pro tip. It reminds me. Uh, did you uh, did you know what the drummer named his two daughters? Um, <clears throat> I know what some drummers have named their two daughters. No, but this but drummer I'm I talking know. about. Do you know what? Oh yeah, that one. I don't know. A one and a two, Anna. <laughs> uh, all right. I'll allow it. Yeah. Anyway, I can't remember how to play that little riff. Um, <clears throat> all right. Well, till next time. That was a pretty good uh, outro, intro for an outro. Yeah, yeah. For a pretty good. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty good outro for being an intro for half of it. So, pretty good. <laughs> All, All right, listener. We'll, we'll catch, catch you next, next time. time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Joining our Gravity community is free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.